We have raised about $450 million in the last 11 years. We're in the 130 to 140 million ARR range. Um, we've got about 700 people. Our offices are Boston, London, Lisbon, Paris, Sydney. It's surprising to me on some, on some level. It's a material business. It's a decent sized business. this episode, I'm talking to Rob Gonzalez, co-founder and CMO of Salsify, a product experience management software that does over $100 million in revenue per year. Essentially, they help big brands like L'Oreal, Coca-Cola, and Bosch win on online shelves like Instacart and Amazon. We're going to be talking about number one, the company's business model, number two, the top four to five marketing channels and how much money they spend in each of these buckets, and number three, how to prevent shiny object syndrome in marketing. We'll also try to figure out things like how much money they raise and what valuation the LTV of a customer and how much money Rob makes as the co-founder. And every single time he can't answer a question, we both have to take a shot of hot sauce. Wish me luck, Martians. Hope you enjoy this one. Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing on Mars. Today, we got a super special guest, Rob Gonzalez. He is the founder and CMO of a company called Salsify. And no, I don't think Salsify sells any type of hot sauce. They're actually a software company. And what they actually do is they take traditional branded companies, uh, ma manufacturers like Mars, L'Oreal, kind of big, big companies, and they help them win on the digital shelf. So you can imagine, you know, not the traditional shelf where you walk into stores, but you know, stores like Amazon or Instacart, things like that. Salsify is a uh, is a software company that helps big companies win uh, win on these digital shelves. So, Rob, thank you so much for joining on the show. Excited to dive into uh, your company and everything that you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I am sorry that we're not manufacturing the hot sauce that we <laughs> we can drink here today. When we when we raised our Series B, somebody somebody tweeted, "Oh man, how terrible!" A company called Salsify that doesn't sell salsa. Ick. <laughs> One of my favorite, favorite tweets in the company history. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, so obviously today we are going to be dabbling in some hot sauce. Are you a hot sauce lover? I I am. I love hot sauce, but I, I can't say that I've ever taken a shot of hot sauce. So, so. Is, How did the name Salsify come about? Obviously you are the founding member. Like, How did that name come up? What was the inspiration behind that? So the idea... Originally was, um, if you think about e-commerce, there's lots of different e-commerce sites where you might transact the Instacart, Amazon, Kroger.com, Walmart.com, Target.com. And if you're a company like Coca-Cola, you sell on all of them. And we had this you know, metaphor of a dandelion where if you take a dandelion, you know, when you're a kid and you find a dandelion, you blow on it and the seeds go everywhere and it's, it's fun and beautiful and awesome. And we thought product experiences should be like that. If you're Coca-Cola, your experience of a Coca-Cola product on Amazon or on Instacart should be awesome. It should be inspiring. It should be branded. It should be like those amazing Coca-Cola commercials you remember as a kid growing yeah. up. And yeah. so that was the, the genesis of it. But, you know, dandelion.com is long. It was taken. Uh, yeah. I, we, we, you know, we, we weren't sure that anyone would be able to spell it. And so my, my co-founder uh, and, and CEO, Jason, um, he's just one night, he's just up 
down a Wikipedia rat hole. He's looking at synonyms, looking at things related to the dandelion. And it turns out that the salsify plant is a cousin of the dandelion. And sometimes fancy restaurants will sell the root. It looks kind of like between a carrot and a parsnip. And um, so he thought, oh, salsify. That's kind of cool. It's like salsa, dancing, salsa, the sauce. It's related yeah. to the dandelion. It sounds cool. So that, that's, where it, that's where it came from. Yeah. Uh, the real reason is he had a foresight that he was going to, that you were going to be taking shots of hot sauce on a show sometime in the future. And so Salsify was the perfect name. No, but that's, that's a, that's a crazy, that's a crazy story. So basically what we're going to do on this show is I'm going to be asking, I want to know all the secrets. I roughly know where you guys are at as a company, but I have a lot more questions to kind of uncover the secrets. Like how did you guys grow? To where you guys are at now how big is your company right now a bunch of different questions i'm going to ask you and every single time that you cannot answer a question this light will go off there's a light over here somewhere <laughs> right there that light will go off okay. and we'll 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 both take a shot of hot sauce but uh before we start we have a tradition on the show where we start off the show with a shot of hot sauce i got a spoon with me i got a whole wall of hot sauce what do you have today what is your weapon of choice all right so i brought four um so the first is a customer of ours and one of my very favorite products old bay hot sauce um okay my my dad's cuban and we had old bay chicken all the time and i just i love (laughs) the flavor profile of old bay it reminds me of childhood when they they released this hot sauce during covid and you couldn't find it anywhere and I had an employee from a different state find it in a store and send it over. But anyway, this stuff wow. is great. Um, I got All right. both kinds of Tabasco. Okay. The, the yeah. red, the, well, the both times, both kinds that you can find frequently, the red and the green. Classics, yeah. And then I've got uh, a Cajun hot sauce that I picked up at a conference Ooh. a few weeks ago that was on some table. <laughs> so this is like that looks like, hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, that looks like it could be potentially spicy. I'll let you decide which one you want to take. I'm going to start off with habanero. On this side. Okay. So, and then I'm going to go spicier as we go along. I'm going to go down, down the wall. All right. I'm going to, I might, I might, honestly, I might start with the Tabasco just because I know it's uh yeah. 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 That's safe. That's a safe one. Safe bet. It's not going to, not going to destroy me. All right. I got some. You doing the spoon shot? Okay. I got a, I got a shot. Yeah. That's fine. (laughs) All right. Cheers, man. Cheers. Welcome to the show. Oh, that's actually better than I thought it'd be. <laughs> I mean, it's it's burning a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. Ah, There's like little pieces of habanero. I just went to Cancun and I bought this uh, Mr. Picante. There's like little pieces of habanero in there. You're like chewing it as you're taking the sauce. Oh, man. We, yeah, it's spicy. We always used to, uh, my, my dad for, for decades would have jalapenos that he would grow in the backyard and we would uh, cut them up and can them. And jalapenos, you know, the ones that, that we grew, especially when you can them, you know, they're just spicy, but not that spicy. And one year we grew the habaneros and they were just oh, yeah. way too much for anybody to deal with. <laughs> like, oh, really? we, we literally grew them one year. We're like, we can't do this. This is too much. And then, then we're out of it. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so the main sponsor of our show 
the owner, he's, he's Vietnamese and, um, they, their whole family loves spicy food. They grow Carolina Reapers peppers in their, in their backyard. And, um, he was thinking of sending me some Carolina Reaper peppers so I can eat it on the show. But I'm like, even this is spicy enough. Even in the sauce is spicy enough. If I ate the whole pepper, I would not be speaking. So I'm like, no, thanks. Yeah. There's uh, some, there, yeah, there, there used to be a, a restaurant uh, called Eastern grill in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The, the chef back in the day was Cajun and he was kind of frustrated that the owners wouldn't let him cook hot, spicy food. So they gave him one night a year where he could make stuff as spicy as he wanted. And he called it hell night. And so people would come all over and you could just order, keep ordering food. But the second that you ordered milk for reprieve, you were not allowed to order any more food. So it was like a day oh that food would just keep escalating until you were done and you would drink some milk and try to try to chill out. I, I swear to God, I think hot sauce is like the secret sauce to a lot of different companies. I think it could be a secret for 2023 for anyone looking to grow in their business. Just add <laughs> hot sauce to anything and you're good. All right, before we dive into Salsify, learn all, all about where you guys market, how you guys make your money, how big you guys are and everything. Maybe tell us a little bit about what exactly the problem you guys are solving. Obviously, you guys are helping these big companies win on the digital shelf. That's your guys' motto. But what exactly is the problem you guys are solving and how do you guys make your money? Yeah, it's a it's a marketing, branding and selling problem, um, ultimately. So if if you think about commerce 20 years ago, where do you hear primarily about big brands? Um, it's TV. TV is the dominant advertising medium. And brands like Coca-Cola or Procter & Gamble would spend a lot of money on TV advertising. You know, Anheuser-Busch would spend a lot of, t- a lot of money on TV advertising. And, you know, you, you hear the TV ads, you hear the radio ads. You go into the store and there's um, various ways of merchandising to you in the store. There's what they call shelf talkers and floor talkers and end caps and different merchandising mm-hmm. opportunities where these brands can get in your face. And then the pack- there's the packaging of the product itself and, and the claims on the packaging of the product itself. And, and that's, you know, and by and large, that's the, those are major components of the process, right? If you think right. about online, I don't know about you, but like, I don't have cable television. My family does not no. see advertisements on TV ever, right? Um, no. I, I subscribe to the YouTube thing, so I don't even see YouTube advertising. And uh, when I look for a product, I'm going to something like Google or Amazon, or I might go to Instacart, or I might buy directly from, from a grocer. And I'm, I'm literally going into the search bar and searching for soda or whatever. And yeah. then, you know, what's at the top of the search result? You know, how does that get there? Once you click on it on the product detail page, what do the images look like? Are they high quality? What are, what's the description of the product? Can you understand what it is? Is there branding material there? So the, ultimately, the, I think the, the path to purchase and then also the way that the brand is expressed online mm-hmm. is fundamentally different and also fundamentally intertwined. Like offline, mm-hmm. the branding can be done on TV and then you've got the path to purchase and it's separate. Online, the branding and the path to purchase are are kind of intertwined and there's a there's a search engine optimization angle to it to, to win the search algorithm. So uh, what we wanted to do with Salsify is to help branded manufacturers whose products show up on hundreds of websites all over the place. We wanted to help them optimize for search on all these websites, optimize for conversion on all these websites and tell the brand story on these websites 
which is the only place that consumers see their products these days. Um, and so that, that's, that's wow. the problem that we wanted them to solve. That seems like a, so imagine I'm Mars, right? Mars bar, not marketing on Mars, but Mars <laughs> bar. And I come to you and I say, I want you guys to manage all of our distribution, like any single online presence, Amazon, Instacart. So I come to you as a one-stop shop and you manage all the listings. Is that how it works? Yeah. So we manage, uh, think of it as um, there's a content management angle to it. So we've got yes. like an enterprise content management system where you put your images and you put your uh, your features and your, your, your uh, romance copy and you put your data elements right. and you put your shipping and packaging information and pricing information and you've got workflow and compliance and all that stuff around that. And then... There's the ability. There's the the ability to get that information into the hands of the retailer or distributor in the form mm. that they require. So Amazon's website, right. Walmart's website, Target's website, they look totally different. The sizes of the image are totally different. The search algorithm is totally different. Um, and so they, they, you've got to repackage the information in different ways for these different retailers. And then and then you've got to get it to the retailers in a way that they'll that they'll accept. So uh, so yeah. So for mm. us. We, we're not 100% a one-stop shop for every single destination that you might possibly want to get your products to, but directionally, right. that, what you're saying is correct. Okay, so it's like a mix of managed services and also self, self-serve. self It's, so prim- it's, it's not primarily just- software. Yeah, it's primarily technology. Primarily software. Got it, mm-hmm. got it. So give us a sense of how large you guys are right now. I mean, I've, I've done a little bit of research. I've kind of know where you guys are at right now, but like... Have you guys raised any money or is it fully bootstrapped? We have raised about $450 million in the last uh, almost 11 years. Um, we've, wow. We're through Series F. Uh, we're in the 130 to 140 million ARR range. Um, we've got about 700 people. Um, <sighs> our offices are uh, Boston, London, uh, Lisbon, Paris, uh, Sydney. Wow. Um, so it's... Yeah, it's, I mean, at this point, it's surprising to me on some, on some level. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a material business. It's a, it's a decent-sized business. Yeah, which is why I'm so excited to dive into this because you have been at Salsify since day one. Like You were there when it from the birth of Salsify all the way up until now where you guys have raised $450 million, which is crazy, Series F, and $130 million in ARR. So we're going to be able to hear everything, the whole story from the beginning, the whole tale of the tape from the beginning until now. Talk to us about maybe the, the early the early days, like early days, you guys are uh, B to E, like enterprise software. Talk to us about the first five or ten, even the first five clients. How did you guys get them in the beginning? And is that very different from what it is now? Um, well, the first one, I'd say no. It's not. It's not very different. It's actually. It's really interesting. Uh, one of one of the lessons I've got through this whole journey. So the very first client was a company called Firelands in the UK. Uh, There's a guy named Sibo Dapper, and he's still a customer. Uh, and wow, he, we in, there's a type of software that we that we provide. It's not all we provide, but it's um it's called product information management. And there was a classic set of product information management systems. This is back in 2012 when we found it. And, and when SIBO found us was early 2013. A classic PIM system is, is heavy enterprise software. So think uh, Informatica back in the day or SAP had a solution called Hybris right. and, and, and Oracle had a solution, um, stuff like that. And 
nobody, there wasn't a PIM in the cloud at that time anywhere. And we were the first real PIM in the cloud. And so we, we had this product that you could see early demo videos of in, in uh, early 2013. So SIBO found us by searching for cloud PIM or PIM in the cloud or something like that on Google. Our website comes up, he checks it out, he sends an email, he wants to buy us. And uh, I literally didn't know how to sell him the software. He's in the UK. I don't know what we're charging for this thing. We, you know, we hadn't planned on launching. Um, well, so he wanted I, to buy your company, like just no, buy no, the whole wanted software. To, just wanted to use the software. Okay, use the software. Yeah. Okay, he wanted to use the software. Yeah. So, so I caught. You know, we we talked on the phone a few times, and and I said, look, I, I honestly don't even know what to charge you. So he. Uh, he charges. So he says, okay, how about, I don't know, 99 bucks. And I said, that sounds good. <laughs> how do you want to pay <laughs> credit card? Okay. I'll figure out how to charge the credit card somehow. So he gives me the credit card. I write it down on a piece of paper. I open up a Stripe account. Um, and it was, so that was the first one. Another one of the wow. first four or five was uh, 3M. And at that time, what I was doing to try to great company, man. And 3M is awesome. Um, their products are incredible. And so I, what I wanted to do was you have a lot of conversations with manufacturers to learn about their businesses and try to figure out early product market fit for us. What's something that we could sell them repeatedly. And so I was going on LinkedIn and sending direct messages to anybody related to e-commerce at any manufacturer I could find saying, Hey, I'm a founder uh, of a company. I'm, I want to help brands win on, win on the digital shelf. Um, we're really early. I'm not trying to sell you anything, but you know, if you're willing to give me an hour of your time, just so I can learn about your business, I will fly and meet you anywhere you are. And so I was on the road constantly. And so I met this guy, David Lee at 3M and he was part of an innovation team run by a guy named Raj in the, in the headquarters. And they were doing a bunch of global digital experiments. Um, and so we got, you know, we got a deal to be part of some of the, the direct to consumer experiments that, that they were running. And then, and then a lot of the other sales looked like that. I mean, the, so much of the early sales for us, there weren't that many people searching for the problem like SIBO did. And there weren't that many people mm -hmm. searching for the problem that we solved. It was mostly just grinding with cold calling, with cold emailing, with cold LinkedIn, trying to get people to have a conversation. Um, and then honestly, to this day, a good percentage of our business <laughs> starts with a grinding cold emailing, cold calling conversation like that's even to this day that's a big part of what we do so um so that that's how we got the first set of them it's just 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 the grind for the most part yeah and like the world hasn't changed that much i mean software has changed in the last 10 years but especially with the b to e when you get to large companies the the the, the pathway to to getting these deals is you got to get the door open you got to yeah. find a way to open the door whether it's through an email or whether it's through a LinkedIn DM, right? Or you're using Sales Navigator on LinkedIn, or I don't know, like a like a social media DM, or whatever it is, whatever you know channel you want to use. Maybe the channels have changed a little, has changed a little bit, which I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially with these big enterprise companies. I'll say I'll say one thing about what's changed in terms of the outbound motion. Um, like when we were getting started. There was a book written by one of the early Salesforce leaders called Predictable Revenue, which probably, I don't mm. know, probably a good percentage of the people, if you're old enough, have read on this, on this podcast. I've read it, yeah. yeah. Um, and in the Predictable Revenue days, and even in early Salsify, 
you could get away with some pretty horrible emails. Like, hey, we're an e-commerce company. You're trying to grow e-commerce. Can I have 15 minutes of your time? Like you could send that email and it would work sometimes, <laughs> amazingly somehow. So we, we sent some God awful emails back in the day and like somehow it worked. And at, over the last 10 years, it's just been so much harder to get somebody's attention. And so when we, when we do an outbound cadence right now, we have to add a lot of value in, in the outbound messaging. Um, usually a lot of the messaging, we're inviting them to webinars. We're not trying to get a meeting with us. We're sending them reports. We're sending them competitive reports on their own products. We're doing all this work to be interesting and useful in the outbound. And, uh, and, and you didn't need to do that 10 years ago. Well, I, I gave, I gave a talk to a bunch of CMOs recently on this subject. And mm. if you look at, um, like BDR teams, the cold callers, they always were in sales and you're seeing them more and more in marketing and you're seeing them more and more in marketing. And, and for us, they're in marketing because these outbound communications look a lot more like personalized nurture campaigns than they do like smiling and dialing. And, um, and so it's that, so the, in broad strokes, even though it's still outbounding the the tactics within it and how you approach it, it's, that's evolved quite a bit in the last 10 years. Yeah. You almost can't approach sales as sales, you got to approach them as conversations and you're genuinely interested in the other person, which means you, you got to do a little bit more research, which is very different from the traditional way of sales and just like smiling and dialing and just getting through the numbers. The numbers don't work anymore. It's about quality and you got to actually personalize things and really care about the other person on the other side, um, especially when it comes to B, B2B or B2E. Yep. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, so talk to us about a little bit about the different uh, channels then uh, now that we're talking about it. Obviously, the, the ABM motions, it seems like there's a, there, there's a lot of ABM, but how do you guys get all of your new clients and your new business nowadays? What are your main channels? So and we're, we're at a scale where our business is very land expand and uh, most of our bookings growth comes from upsell. Um, so mm. it, th that's very different. The upsell motion is very different and it's right. great account management, great, uh, customer success management, um, joint business planning, uh, good partner relationships with, uh, systems integrators that are in those same accounts, good partner relationships with other software companies that are in those accounts. It's all that stuff. Right. So, I mean, that's the upsell motion for the, for the new logo motion. Um, there's there's a combination of ways that we that we get business. Increasingly, we're getting we're getting some from partners. Uh, we're at a scale, and our software is big enough that if you're a systems integrator like at a Deloitte or an Accenture, we're now a, we're becoming an interesting piece of the enterprise architecture for you. Like if you're doing a digital transformation project at a large manufacturer, and you're doing, for example, like an e-commerce platform lift and shift, including Salsify right. in the project is probably a good idea. And and uh, and so we're more of our leads are coming in that way. That's that's a new channel in the mm -hmm. last couple of years. Um, another new channel in the last couple of years is we're uh, getting leads actually actively from retailers. So we've been partnering with retailers for a long time. I mean, we we're partnered mm -hmm. with Amazon. We partner with Target. We partner with market with uh, Walmart. We partner with Home Depot. We've been partnering with them for a long time. But now we've got a piece of technology and a program that allows us to partner with them in a way where they're introducing us to, to their supply chains. Um, and that, that helps a lot with opening that door. Um, events are in the post COVID world. Amazingly events are doing really well. 
Like I remember looking at our event performance in 2019 and thinking, God, why am I spending money? This is just, this is a donkey. Um, And then COVID events were gone for a few years, really like more than two, more than two years. And now that they're back, every event that we do is gold. It's like people miss each other and, and they're liking taking meetings again. So events is one that is shockingly good right now. Um, there's the cold calling. And then, you know, for us, as, as Salsify has gotten bigger and as our market has established, uh, search engine optimization is actually for the, for mid market companies like manufacturers that are under three, 400 million in annual revenue. Um, but a lot of them just come inbound and that mm. never used to be the case. Inbound was never a material piece of our business, but it's actually been performing really well. So uh, in addition to the outbound stuff, those are the other channels that, that we have that are uh, effective. Any, any PPC or email, e- email uh, campaigns, or is that, uh, I mean, emails might fall under your ABM motions, yeah, but we, what about PPC? We use emails for nur- for nurture a lot. Uh, I mean, so our market if you look at all the companies like in the United States that we could sell to, there aren't a hundred thousand great companies for us to sell to. There's like single digit no. thousands and yeah. of like the very best for us to sell to, you know, it's, it's low single digit thousands. And so when we, when we get anybody interested in our stuff, if they've attended a webinar or whatnot, we will, we will definitely keep them in the database. They'll get emails. We try to make those emails as high quality as possible so that they don't unsubscribe and they, they stay engaged. And then maybe we'll get them again later. Um, so we, we do those kinds of emails quite a bit. And uh, so that's one for you said PPC. PPC is one where, you know, it's interesting for us. So we, we started investing really heavily in a, a scaled SEO strategy a few years ago. And um, as an experiment, we basically cut our PPC spend to zero almost at the beginning of the year. Um, Mm -hmm. and the performance of the inbound really didn't change that much. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's because our, our organic performance improved to the point where it's like, actually the SC, what you're paying for SEO is to go up a ranking and it doesn't seem to matter for us that much in terms of aggregate, uh, aggregate traffic or traffic that converts. So we're reintroducing PPC now, but a little bit more, a little bit more targeted and at at a significantly lower you know, top line budget than we had before. And I, I've heard that from others too. I mean, it's, we've, we've gotten to a point where it's, it, it was a channel we spent a lot of money on for a lot of years and, and don't, it doesn't, it's not as productive as it used to be. So a couple of things, uh, my background was in, uh, it was in performance marketing. So a lot of SEO and a lot of PPC. And I've seen this from, I, I started around 2017 was when I entered the, the, the performance marketing space. 2017 was a good was a good time. You can still make you know eight ten x ROAS on your on uh, on, on your ads. Yeah, that's pretty. Nowadays good. you're nowadays you're lucky in the B two B if you're making two x ROAS if you're lucky, and yeah. so like the performance marketing, especially on the PPC side, has really diminished in terms of the quality and the performance and everything. CPC is is gone through the roof now. And I'm hearing the same thing, not just from my personal experience, but from I've, I've interviewed about 60 C-suite and founders uh, on this podcast and hearing the same thing. And now you're saying the same thing and you're telling me that your friends and colleagues are saying the same thing. There's no there's there's no secret there. PPC quality has decreased a lot. So watch that. If, the, if you're looking for anywhere to cut spend, that's probably a big area. But SEO is still very strong. I've heard time and again, the SEO is still strong. 
Is it difficult to win? Yes, it, it is difficult and you got to put time into it. But when you do win, there's actually there's tangible benefits to it. So um, it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? So keeps on giving. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, events. You said events are doing well. I'm hearing the same thing from a lot of different um, uh, leaders that are coming on here. Are you talking more about smaller events, larger events, or what types of events? Are there different types of events that tend to do better for you guys? Man, it, it has been such a mix. So this year we're, because we're, 22, 22 was no events, really. Um, 21 was no events, 20 was no events. And yeah. so this year we, we took a test and learn approach where we were trying a whole bunch of different things. So like we did, um, our, the big event in our play, in our space is called Shop Talk. So we had a giant, yeah. giant booth. Like the big yeah. booth at Shop Talk. And that event actually was awesome. That's like 50K, like 50K, 60K for all a booth all, kind of thing? All, no, no, all in. Um, all in with everything is over 150K for everything. Yeah, I mean, oh, we. Holy yeah, smokes. We, oh, you guys got the big booth. Oh, yeah. You guys we got, got the, the giant, the, the biggest the one. The big booth and then the dinner oh, and, the, you know, the talk oh, sponsorship. Yeah. And, dude, I mean, we we did it up. And, and actually, it, it, yeah. it's a profitable event for us. That was actually really good for us. Um, that we Then we've done, uh, we've so we've done that event. We've done a couple smaller, like uh, more niche events. So we just did um, GS1 Connect, uh, which is uh, GS1 is a not-for-profit group that created the barcode. And so they're they're mm. big for any. Like, a lot of our wow. customers are in CPG and food, and a lot of our a lot of their products have barcodes. And and so the the this GS1 group has a lot to do with data and data standards and transfers for for that community. Um, so we just got back from that event. It's a smaller event. It's it's a lot more niche interest, but uh, but that was really good. We did we did ISV events. So we did Adobe and we did Salesforce. Um, both of those were good. Um, we I mean I've, I've, there's been a couple duds too. I did, I did an event in the UK um, that was kind of a dud. We did an event in France that was kind of a dud. Um, yeah. that had one in the US that's kind of a dud. So we're sort of testing and learning our way. Some of them are big events with ten thousand people. Some of them are small events with two hundred people. And we're just figuring it out. Um, the thing, the thing that we're going to start doing more of is uh, owned events too. We were big into owned events before COVID. Um, our last user conference had 600 people. We, you know, we had a, an event planned wow. for 2020 that we were going to do over a thousand people at this event, and obviously it got canceled. Um, yeah. So, you know, looking at 24, we're like, okay, people are going to events. The events seem to be working, so we're we're going to get back into hosting more of our own events next year. But yeah, it's all, all kinds of stuff this year, and it's actually been pretty effective. Yeah, no, I've been hearing the same thing. A lot of companies cutting back on PPC, investing more in events and community, and engaging with their with their audience. And I've been hearing this a lot, so that that makes a whole lot of sense. How much are you guys spending? Uh, sounds like you guys are doing a lot. I mean, 150k for a single event. Yeah, seems like you guys you guys don't cheap out on on on, on the things you guys want to do it big. How much are you guys spending and uh, what's your marketing budget like monthly or annual? Oh, so, so that, um, so that event was the, by far the most expensive event we're, we're doing for the year. Yeah. The total event budget is, um, 750. Uh, okay. and the, the total, um, program spend, and th this and so if yeah. you look at the total program spend that includes that competitive analysis, um, PPC, all that stuff, it's about two and a half million. For the year. 
for the year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's relatively low considering considering you guys are doing 130 mil uh, ARR. Is, yeah, but, is, is that does not not include sales? Well, so so that's just the program spot program budget itself, right? Okay. So that's the the variable spend, the stuff that would go into PPC. It doesn't include heads. Um, okay. And for, so for us, remember, we do a lot of cold calling. So and the cold calling lives in marketing. Um, so it's like, you know, if you look at the overall marketing budget, it's going to be in range for what uh, an enterprise SaaS business does. We choose to spend ten, it a little bit differently. Mil. So I'll spend a little bit less on advertising and whatnot and PR, and I'll spend mm, a little bit yeah. more on content for SEO, and I'll spend a little bit more on cold calling and materials to support cold calling. So the mix for us is a little bit different, but it just reflects our go-to-market model. How much do you guys spend on SEO versus PR, like traditional PR where you just you know paid placements? What's, what's uh, the breakdown? So SEO, I couldn't, I actually off the top of my head, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I couldn't tell you our total content spend for mm. the year. I couldn't tell it's mo, it's a combination of heads and, uh, and contractors and stuff like that. I couldn't tell you what it is off the top of my head. Okay. Um, but it's all in, in-house. You guys don't have in-house. like an agency all in-house. Okay. All in-house. We have an, yeah. we have an amazing creative. That's the way to do it. Yeah. That's um, the way to do it. Yeah. And then, uh, and then for, for PR, I mean, less than a hundred K for the overall for the year where it's not, it's not an area we focus much. Um, yeah. sometimes, you know, we, we get a little criticism that maybe we should be louder out there, but we're, uh, um, the way that, the way that we've done PR and audience engagement is we've got something called the digital shelf Institute, which is mm-hmm. a totally separate brand. And that's what we use for community engagement. And we, you know, we've done events, we've got the podcast through it. We've got a blog, we've got great research reports and material and all that. And yeah. it gets, it gets a lot of attention in the community. So for yeah. the folks that we try to, that we want to sell to, you know, if you're, if you're a digital shelf leader, if you're an e-commerce leader at a branded manufacturer, oh, for sure you've heard of us. And for sure, you're probably subs- interacting with some type of thing that we're putting out there in the world, whether it's a yeah. data analysis or research report or whatever. So we, we haven't focused on traditional PR. It's not like, it's not a thing that uh, is, you know, high, super high priority for us. And, and maybe, yeah. honestly, maybe we, sh- we should be doing more of it. No, I think you guys are doing the right thing, though. I mean, the whole point, especially with B to E, you just want to have conversations. You, you need to have conversations with your with your end client, right? And podcasting is a huge way. Like, how do we connect? It was through a cold. Uh, it was I, I cold messaged you. I yep. found your profile, and your profile was amazing. The company was amazing, and the companies that are coming to our, on our show are getting larger and larger. And so I just knew I had to have you on the show. So I reached out several times uh, and to start this conversation, right? That's just, that's, and, and now we're having this full on hour conversation. And I can imagine if you're trying to target enterprise companies, this would be the way to do it. This is 100%. the best way to start a conversation, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's so. a thing. It's a, I, was, I was on a call just before this where I got asked for a, a local entrepreneur group um, to you know, do Q&A with, with the set of them for an hour. And one of yeah. one of the questions was, you know, do you have any tips for going viral? And I was like, no, I, the only thing I know how to do is grind it out. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like the worst possible person to ask about virality. I, I know how to make a lot of phone calls. I can do, I can do that. <laughs> so anyway, but that's yeah, the way to do it. It's, it's the way to do it. Slow and steady wins the race always. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you're not you're you're a numbers guy. You know your numbers really well. We talked about Mount Ray's revenue, and we talked about all the different channels. Do you know what your cost per acquisition is? You're doing so much. You're spending a lot of money. Do you know what your like blended CPA or by channel is? No, <laughs> I know. I, I I honestly this is this is the this is super embarrassing, but I could not tell you that with absolute certainty. The, the last time, oh yeah, look at that. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you got me. I sorry. This is. Well, I'm gonna go All green right. Nebraska this time. <laughs> okay. Right away, they caught it right away. That's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Is, All right. All right. All right. Oh, man, I'm I'm actually. This is the green Tabasco. I put yeah. this on eggs so many times in my life. That's the green best. Tabasco and fried eggs is like perfect for me. All right, All right cheers, man. Cheers. Oof. Oh my mm. god! <laughs> How's that? How's that? It was that? So good. It's sour. It's sort of. <laughs> it had a late burn to it. <laughs> I don't know how you do Tabasco. For me, Tabasco is so sour. I, I, I can't. I can't do that. I'd rather, I'd rather feel the pain. I'd rather I, feel I, the I pain. I love sour. It's like my uh, – I got two girls, and they got my sour jeans, so they'll take lemons yeah. and stick them in their mouth. I'm like, oh that's, my that's goodness. how I feel too. That's insane. Um, okay, so on, on that, on that um, note of, uh, of CPA – Maybe you know this side of the equation, the, your LTV, right? Because one of the biggest metrics that people look at are, is the LTV to CAC ratio. Do you know your LTV? Um, I cannot tell you our LTV. <laughs> but you know it. Yeah, I, this is, uh, I can't tell you the LTV. Uh, uh, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, um, are you? Am yeah. I going to do? Are we doing a back to back here? <laughs> I don't. Hold on. We don't see the light is not. The light is not on. I think they're le they're letting this pass. They're letting the this pass. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm watching it. Nothing is happening. So I think we're right. good. Whew, um, I dodged that one. <laughs> but you got some customers that are ten years that have been around for oh, ten yeah. years. Your LTV must be. Well, here's, here's the thing about LTV and. Uh, like I know the finance team has sort of a derived LTV and an LTV to CAC ratio. And yeah. we reported to the board. Um, yeah. Like LTV is really tough in a business like ours where uh, we've landed and expanded um, for some cost, you know, for companies for a long time. And there's still like a potentially a lot of headroom for these companies and the, mm -hmm. the gross retention rate of these companies is crazy. So our gross retention yeah. rate on logos is like 94%. Um, Holy smokes. And our, you know, we, our biggest wow. customers started at 60 K and are now at almost 3 million. And right. For a single, you know, for a single account and, and, wow. you know, probably could be double that and, you know, over time. And so you, I don't, yeah. I don't know how exactly you calculate LTV there. So that the, the, there's South there it's like, or I actually, I know the math. I know how you do it, but I'm not yeah, sure that yeah. it is correct because yeah. if you've got a product strategy and a growth strategy with these accounts that is supposed, you know, intentionally growing over time, your actual LTV should be really, really high, like higher than whatever mm -hmm. the, the calculation spits out. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. That's that's kind of how I look. That's at why. It. 
that's why some uh, companies, when they're looking to invest, they don't look at the like, especially for a company like yours, they're not going to look for the lifespan LTV. They're going to look for the last three years or four years LTV because it's more. Yeah, they'll, current, they'll look right? at net dollar retention rate. They'll look at close. They'll look at the gross dollar retention rate. They're basically looking because um, I mean, at, at this point, if it weren't for how crazy the markets are and the SaaS crash and the e-commerce crash yeah. and all that sort of stuff, you know, we're a scale yeah. of business where, like, we're you know, they're public companies that are same same size as us, right? So. Um, when when we look at the the valuations, they're basically considering quality of revenue, um, yeah. and they're, they're they're not doing LTV to CAC calculations. They're they are look they are looking at net dollar retention rate. They're looking at uh, you look at some of the recent IPOs the last few years. They're looking at the cohort based net dollar retention rate. You see those great IPO graphs where the twenty seventeen cohort starts as a small purple bar and then grows and becomes a large purple bar. They're you know they're public market investors and late stage PE investors. They're looking at that type of stuff. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask, I have three more questions. Let's do these rapid fire so we can move on to the, to a new segment. And then I'm just watching our time. We have 10 minutes left. All right. So I'll ask you three quick questions. You answer quick couple sentences or a couple of words. First question, name your largest client that you have, your largest client by revenue. By revenue. By revenue yeah. to us or by revenue that they have? <laughs> that they have, that they have. Oh, God. Um, it might be Johnson & Johnson. They've got it. I think Johnson & Johnson's a global top 10 yeah, revenue probably. company. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It might be J&J. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number two, name one or two competitors that you're inspired by. One or two competitors that I'm inspired by. Um, well, so I guess like what one is, uh, our biggest competitor in, syn- in, in syndication in the U S is a company called Syndigo and they do a good job, um, getting retailers to, uh, do lead generation for them. And they're, okay. they're very, they're very effective at that, at, at weaponizing their retail relationships. And, and that, I find that really interesting. Um, another one, and this is not like inspiration that I take, you know, inspiration from, but I'm just impressed how they've done yeah. it. There's a, there's a company in Norway or, or sorry, Sweden called InRiver, and they were an on-premise PIM and they made yes. the pivot to, to the cloud successfully. And they they compete well in the cloud and that's really freaking hard to do. And, and so I'm, I kind of, yeah. you know, I, I have a hat tip special hats place. Off. Like yeah. I think that they actually... They succeeded in doing something that very, very few companies succeeded doing. So I, I have a, I have a lot of respect for them doing that. All right. Uh, last question: How much? How much do you make as a as a CMO? <laughs> All right, I'm not going to answer that one. <laughs> I thought I got you. I thought I slid that in there. I thought oh, you were yeah, just going to blurt it out. Oh I, man! All right. All right. So I'm going to do my my old bay here. This is, I think this one's the spiciest right. one of the set of these things. Yeah, I'm not going to work. I'm going to go, I'm going to go uh, Carolina Reaper because I felt like I, I did a low blow, blow on you <laughs> for that one. So I'll do Carolina Reaper for that one. All right. All right this one's not going to be fun. Cheers. Cheers. Actually, that was just delicious. It wasn't even, mm, Old Bay. 
I will tell you that's oh. money. So, oh man, in terms in terms of salary though, what we what we do do, I'll, I'll give you the philosophy. Okay, cool. Which is, uh, we basically mark to market. So we've got a bunch of services that our people experience team uses to figure out the bands. So you're looking like CMOs for software companies that are in the 100 to 200 million revenue range. Um, they, they have access to data that has that. And then we'll do like 75th percentile ish. And so okay. the, the, like my salary isn't the, the way that we do it. That's for the entire company. So my salary isn't a salary that I negotiate. I mean, as a founder, it's a little different anyway, but it's not like I'm going to Jason saying I should be paid more. I'm super valuable. It's, it's more yeah. like my salary just comes out of a math equation. And so from so, that perspective, it's super fair, right? So let's talk about, let's talk about that. Let's talk like in your, in your industry or like, you know, companies within your size, how much would an average CMO be paid? It, you know, the like range, range is actually huge. It's crazy. So yeah. you know, like you can find examples of, I mean, well, it's also kind of tough because the difference between like a hundred million revenue company and a 200 million revenue company is significant. Oh, so you're looking sure. at large yeah. ranges, but you know, you, you see, you do see CMOs that can make, you know, 700 K all in with, um, with, uh, with everything. And, and you also see yeah. CMOs that make 200 K. Um, and it's just, it's really, it's really hugely variable. I mean, there's, you look in the middle of that range and you, you find kind of where the bulk bulk of them tend to be, but yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there are folks, I, we, we were hiring ahead of product a few years ago and uh, I remember, you know, one, one person that was a late stage candidate got a job for like a million a year. And we're like, what, what is happening here? This is so much more than we're paying. Uh, and so anyway, we, so yeah, the, 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 the salary ranges can, are, it's a wide range. Anyway, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, like, if I'm doing a math 200 to 700 K and you guys are generous in the 75th percentile, I'm guessing you're probably getting paid like 500 K. No, no comment on your math. Blink <laughs> Also, it depends right. on the year, right? You're like you're a senior executive. The the variable yeah. not matters. Are you hitting your numbers? You're not hitting your numbers. You know, variable right. variable matters. All right, we're moving over to a new segment. You have a hard stop at two, right? I yeah. Hard stop. Uh, I can go a couple minutes over if you need, but yeah, let's go to a new segment. Okay, this is a new segment that we just started. I don't know how this is gonna go with you because I feel like you're pretty good at this stuff. It's a. I'm gonna tell you three jokes that are related to marketing. If you laugh, you take a shot of hot sauce. And if you okay. don't laugh, I'll take a shot of hot sauce. All right? Three okay. jokes. Let's go. All right. How do you stop a bull from charging? You cancel its credit card. All right. All right. Uh, Second I, think one. That's, I think that's a uh, negative for me. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I, think, I think you're, you're hot, you're hot saucing it, my friend. Oh man. Okay. All right. Let's we'll keep going with there's two more. <laughs> Where did the serial killer hide the, his dead bodies? On page two of Google search results. Nah, I like that one. That's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I like that one. All right. Last one. Last one. Last year, I tried a monkey breeding business. I don't know if I told you, but it failed because I was only using male chimps. <laughs> Uh, all right, all right, all right. 
it really okay, is. So you, so, you, so you didn't, so you didn't laugh for one, but you laughed for two. So we'll let's both we'll do we'll both do one. We'll both do one. That was that the middle chimps one is pretty good, man. It's like <laughs> I, I'm going. Oh, to- Oh man, I poured way too much. Holy smokes! I'm going but, to mystery hot sauce here. This is uh, what kind of pepper is even in this damn thing? Um, aged pepper mash. So I guess oh mystery pepper. It looks really red, so potentially it could be spicy. Yep. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Oh. Wow. Ah. <laughs> uh. My God. <laughs> I poured like half a spoon on that one. Oh. <laughs> How was that? That was a lot, man. I wouldn't recommend mystery pepper hot sauce. Was- luckily, l- luckily, we did it in the end. Luckily, we did it in the end and not like in the middle of that. Um, all right. Before before we we jump out, because we learned so much about the company, we learned so much about the marketing channels. We made you laugh a couple of times with the jokes, but we didn't get to learn too much about you, you know, as a person. Um, obviously, you've successful founder, CMO. You've you've done a lot. Um, what was it like? I'm just going back in your into your history. You didn't start your first company until basically. Salsify. And before yeah. that, you kind of, you were a co-host at a company called, um, uh, where, where, where were you before that? You were like director of product management and all that stuff. Yeah. This was, this was your first startup, right? That's right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The, what, what I, mean, I, was, I, was, well? I was in my, my thirties and, and so we, we were like older founders, but if you look at the mm. stats though, the older you are, the more likely you are for your company to succeed. And I know for me, uh, like, what, what, so there's three co-founders. Jeremy and I went to college together. And uh, when we were freshmen in the late 90s, we'd, you know, drink white Russians and talk about starting a company someday. I mean, this is during the dot-com boom. And both of us yeah. are subscribed to Wired Magazine. And we're all in on this stuff. And, uh, and so we always wanted to do it. But I know the person that I was at 22 or 23 was absolutely not capable of doing this. Not ready. Not yeah. absolutely not ready. I Like, emotionally... Uh, like from a maturity perspective, from a dis- work discipline perspective, also just from the, you know, if you're selling a, a B2B business, um, you know, selling to enterprises, that's experience you just have to have, right? You can't, you, yeah. it's not like a consumer business where maybe you get lightning in a bottle and the business succeeds. It's, you, you kind of have to, you kind of have to learn how enterprise sales works and how enterprise marketing works. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for us, like I put a, a decade in before doing this and I don't know, I don't think I personally could have done it earlier. Um, and the advice I give a lot of, a lot of folks, like some folks that went to my college, like younger, younger people will, uh, email me asking for advice. And usually my advice is don't start a business, go work for an awesome company. I mean, in Boston, there's so many awesome companies And Boston is like not even, not nowhere near the biggest startup hub. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you can go work for toast. Toast is amazing, right? Go work for HubSpot. It's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can work for Salsify. We're not toast and we're not HubSpot, but we're pretty good. And you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of great companies that you can go work in and cut your teeth and get some experience and build a network and be challenged and grow. And, uh, and then also not for nothing, put some money in the bank, you know, mm-hmm. put some savings 
so that when you're ready to go, you can go. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you had worked at big companies though. Like you, you were a software engineer early in your career. You worked at IBM. So you were kind of exposed to the tech world. Um, and then you became a product manager. So you kind of touch many different parts of a startup engine from not just the tech side, but also the product side and then moving over to the marketing side. So you kind of touch a lot of different areas. Do you think that helped you? Even though you didn't have any a startup experience as a founder, you had touched so many different parts. So by the time you started your own business, you knew you, you had a, a lot, enough experience that you could succeed. Do you think that was a huge part of the formula? Oh yeah, absolutely. For me, I mean, it's, uh, I was a software engineer. I was a product manager. I was a product marketer and, and, uh, largely ran marketing at a company. And then, uh, early days of Salsify, I was doing sales and, um, mm. yeah, it's great. I mean, it's wow. it, it, each of these things, I wasn't doing it for six months. I was doing it for three years at a time. And if you do something for three years, you gain decent amount of competency in it. You might, you know, you might not be an expert, but you know, you know enough. Um, yeah. certainly enough to get a company moving. Right. So I, I think that's a good way to do it. I mean, it's the way I did it, but I did it sort of by accident. I didn't do it on purpose, uh, but it ended up being really good. It's, it's almost like, uh, back in the day, the big companies, the, uh, IBMs and general motors and general electrics, they would have yeah. these, uh, leadership training programs where they would take promising young stars and they would rotate them for six months or a year at a time into different business sections. Right. You're going to work in finance for six months and you're going to work in sales and you're going to work in marketing. And <clears throat> the purpose was to get them to have some familiarity of how each of these functions operated so that when they then became a director somewhere, they knew they knew how the functions operated. They knew what was important to the various leaders of those functions. They knew what the limitations were and it just made them better at these businesses. Um, and, mm -hmm. it, they, you know, they used to they don't do this so much anymore, but companies for a long time did this because you'd work for that company for the next 20 or 30 years and you'd be way more valuable if you had exposure to those different areas. So as a, as a, you know, individual now you can do that. You can create your own sort of MBA leadership program by doing something similar and spend a couple of years doing one job, spend a couple of years doing another job. Some of the most effective leaders at Salsify are people who did multiple different jobs, yeah. right? Uh, they, they went yeah, from for sure. sales to customer success or they, or they went <clears throat> from, uh, business development, engineering, to sales engineering, to product management, to ISV partnerships. And two years here, two years here, two years here, two years here. And they, you know, they, they know the business about as well as anybody could know the business because due to that variety yeah. of exposure. So, so yeah, I think that that background that I had was helpful. And, um, I think it's possible for somebody to manufacture it. Mine was purely by accident. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and I liked how you didn't rush it. You weren't like, oh, my friends are 26 and they started a company, so I'm going to quickly start it. You waited until the right time uh, came about, and now look where we are now. You guys are 100, $130 million, 600 or 800 employees now, right? 700. Yeah, seven, it's about 700 seven. employees. Like crazy. Uh, you've done an amazing job so far. All right, we're going to wrap up right now. For people that are listening that want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to learn more about you and Salsify? Is it LinkedIn or are you on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, Salsify, just go to Salsify.com. Me, um, I'm more on LinkedIn than anything else, but uh, I'm not a particularly social media guy. So yeah. <laughs> you got questions, you can DM me on LinkedIn, and I'm happy sure. to try to answer them. 
All right, Rob. Well, thank you so much. This is only round one of, of many. I'm sure we'll have more conversations. Thank you so much for jumping on and we'll catch you soon. Yeah, good to see you. Cheers. Well, guys, that's it for another spicy episode of Marketing on Mars. I'm really not sure who got burned more, my taste buds or the guest taste buds. My mouth is on fire. Real talk, though. If you're not already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Each episode I make is basically an unedited raw dinner with some of the leading marketing voices. They tell us the truth or they take a shot of hot sauce. We're on almost every single platform. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and more. There's really no excuse. Until next time, Martians, keep it hot and keep it real.